Thank you for joining us on the In Conversation podcast. I'm Justin Better, Managing Director at Citus AMC. This episode looks at recent shifts in the residential mortgage market and the impact on mortgage insurance, not MI, but other insurance policies. My guest, Rob Crispin, a capital markets consultant and publisher of the Crispin Commentary, is a legend in his own mind, at least. <laughs> kidding, Rob. That's a daily snapshot. If you don't get it, you're not in the mortgage industry. Rob began his career in mortgage banking, primarily in capital markets back in 1985. He has deep expertise in the mortgage banking industry, particularly in the secondary market. I'm not going to list all the companies he worked for. I don't want to age him too much, but Tuttle, Crossland, CMG, RPM, any of the companies that are still around today. Until in 2008, I gave him the idea to start this blog. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for joining us. You bet, Justin. I will hold off insulting you back. But uh, all, all teasing ahead. aside, Justin, I think your your career is as storied as mine is, and, uh, and certainly probably more illustrious. So thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll have a separate podcast to argue that point. But um, <laughs> um, one question I have for you, Rob, there are multiple issues in the marketplace right now. What do you see as the most important trends, ones that are most concerning to the industry participants, and what keeps them up at night? Well, you know, we could talk about that question or answer that question several different ways based on a few different metrics. But overall, Justin, as as grim as this sounds, what's keeping up lenders and CEOs and managers, owners, is staying in business. The, The market has shifted so quickly the first two quarters of 2022 that it caught a lot of people by surprise. Everybody knew that we would be seeing a reduction in refinancing, for example. Yeah, yes. The the industry has put millions and millions of borrowers into 30-year mortgages in the 2% range. And so those people refinancing, certainly for rate and term, has left the marketplace almost entirely. And what we are dealing with now is cash out refinances and also purchase lending. And the purchase lending that we are dealing with has to compete with all cash buyers, which earlier this year definitely made their impact felt. The all cash buying market has dropped off a little bit But now we are seeing issues with purchases in general as some people, some potential buyers are looking at the overall economy and thinking, all right, do we really want to buy a home now? So managers and owners are saying, all right, how are we going to stay in business? You know, can we cut costs fast enough? But in terms of the origination side of things, what's keeping people up at night are questions regarding where is our business going to come from? Given that cash out refis are there, given that the purchase market has dwindled somewhat, and given that rate and term refis have almost vanished. When you look at the securitization market, the thing that keeps capital markets people up at night, I would say, is mostly trying to find products for their originators. We had a couple of years of just, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA VA loans raining out of the skies. And 
companies were adjusting their profit margins to slow down volume a couple of years ago, as you might recall. And so, yes, the once in a lifetime event. Oh, exactly. 2020, 2021. We'll never see those years again. Never. Never. So from a securitization perspective, FHA, VA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are still the vast lion's share of the business that's coming in. But I will say that the capital markets people are out there trying to find new products or dust off older products for their originators, whether they're retail originators or wholesale account executives to offer clients. And so capital markets people are reminding their originators that they offer housing finance authority programs, bond programs. There might be reverse mortgages available to some companies. You have jumbo products, you have non-QM products, you have non-agency and general products. You have renovation, you have construction of perms. So there are other- What about seconds, Rob? Second mortgage has been a big topic lately. Maybe touch on that. You're right. Seconds and HELOCs, that is a big topic, especially with with all these people in their their first mortgages with very, very low rates. So you have a situation where the capital markets teams are once again, you know, dusting these off, reminding originators that they have them, offering training programs and finding outlets for them. And I remember whether it was 1945 or 1985 when I started in <laughs> business, one of my first jobs was smiling and dialing and trying to find pension funds and insurance companies to buy loans from my mortgage company. And that role, that duty has renewed itself in this environment. And so when I talk to capital markets people, they are indeed looking at trying to find investors for products that their originators might offer. So that's what I'm seeing on the capital market side and the secondary side, or I should say the capital market, secondary marketing side of things. And then on the servicing side, lastly, the servicing issues right now that are of most concern are you know, a, a concern that, gosh, if we get into a recession, what will that do to potential delinquencies yeah. and foreclosures? Are we, are we going to start talking about foreclosures all over again here or delinquencies? Are people going to be losing their jobs, even though the uh, there's a huge demand for labor out there? But there is a concern that if we do get into a recession, even with its lower rates, are we going to see people's credit quality suffer? And from a servicing perspective, will we see problems increase? So all of these things are keeping owners awake at night, Justin. You know, I wouldn't rank any of them necessarily higher than others, although I will say that that staying in business for many lenders especially smaller, less well-capitalized lenders is a huge concern right now. Can I ask you one more question, Rob? I know I read your daily column every day, at least most of it. I love the jokes. But um, one thing I wanted to focus on is, is M&A a big thing for small guys? Do you feel the barbell effect happening? Smaller guys and the, and the mid-sized guys are kind of eating each other up, growing bigger. 
Give me your assessment of that world. That's happening very much. And it isn't so much the headlines. Yeah. I don't see the headlines, but I hear it taking the grassroots. Yeah. The, the smaller companies who were doing, you know, 80 to 100 million a month last year and the year before, who are now doing 20 to 40 million a month, which, if you think about it, is about the level of a good sized broker uh, in some markets. But if you're a mortgage bank and you have to support a compliance department and a secondary marketing department and a QC department and underwriters and put aside money for potential buybacks, it makes running a small lender, a small mortgage bank, very difficult. And so many of those companies that, like I say, don't make the headlines necessarily are looking for potential buyers or merger partners, especially if the owner of that company or the managers of that company are older, let's say 50 and above, or even in their 40s, do they want to go through this whole new business cycle all over again? Or should they become brokers and do away with a fair amount of their ops staff and save some money? Or do they want to try to keep their origination team intact and merge with another company and therefore, once again, do away with their ops staff, but their origination team probably has some value. So sure, we'll hear about some big deals, some headline grabbing deals, probably some companies that are eliminating channels or merging, but there's a lot going on at, at the branch level and at the small company level that don't make the headlines. I wanted to ask you, Justin, with regard to all the changes that we've seen and the sudden downdraft in volumes and margins and revenues, the insurance market, you know, how do things look now versus say earlier this year has the risk changed? You know, what are you you're seeing? You talk about my finger being on the pulse of the industry. I would say your finger is definitely on the pulse of the insurance market. What are you seeing out there? It's interesting because you got to divide the insurance market into three different categories, right? MI, which is going to be impacted by defaults. You have insurance like we offer here, like loan defect insurance, because into securitization wraps these deals and fraud insurance. We're very concerned about that market. Had an uptick in claims recently, especially in the fraud programs. We've seen uh, undisclosed debts, occupancy fraud. We've had so many of them. I'll give you a number of examples. And you have a third market, which is just the E&O fidelity loss. You know, the standard standard kind of do to get your ticket with Fannie at a, at a mortgage bankers bond, which is a fidelity E&O professional liability policy. I talked to a, one of my brokers in London yesterday, and he said, you know, we expect the avalanche more in COVID than we did in the last three months. Because he expected all the defaults and the hazard insurance and all those things to be filed. They weren't filed. They didn't materialize. So I think the market is still pretty soft, if you will. And it will continue to be soft until there's something that indicates it's not going to be soft. And it will turn more to bearish market. As far as our claims in terms of loan defects and stuff like that, I'm lucky I just started the company. It's current. Our insurance company inside of CMC at the January market was when we opened the company. The good thing about that timing is that kind of all the mistakes of the past, we got past, which is the volume peaks. 
I know a number of um, you know insurance carriers, et cetera, are worried about claims coming in because for one, Fannie and Freddie, government doesn't want to be stuck with the losses. So you're just seeing an uptick in a lot of claims. They're older from the fraud programs and others because they're looking at 34, 35 months before the sunset provision expires. The other thing we're seeing is we're seeing more QC up front, a lot more claims coming quickly. We'll address many of them, probably like 80, 90%, but you can tell there's been an uptick there. Overall, though, the market feels very comfortable with it. But again, you know, as I always describe insurers, like cats in a rocking chair, you know, always skittish. There's a lot going on. There is. They're always concerned about what's going to happen, what's going to hit them. But I thought it was pretty good to hear from um, our broker in London yesterday, hearing him say, we expected an avalanche of claims, but they didn't come to fruition. They haven't had losses. So that's good for them. It's good for the market. It's good for our clients. It's good for mortgage bankers, independent mortgage bankers who understand the business. They need some relief somewhere with pricing, right? They use insurance to get a better pricing. So back at you, Rob. Let's talk about the state of the non-QM market. What are you seeing? Well, non-QM is a segment of non-agency loans in general. And whether, whether you're talking about bond programs or jumbo loans, non-QM loans are a part of that world. And the non-QM industry sprang up not from the subprime industry, but from Dodd-Frank, which created the CFPB, which in turn created the qualified mortgage and therefore the the non-qualified mortgage. And lenders have been eyeing this non-QM segment of the business for quite some time and having varying degrees of success in originating that type of product. Initially, no lender wanted to be known as a non-QM lender. It was mixed up with subprime. And that's not the case. The non-QM loan products appeal to a certain type of lender and a certain type of borrower. For example, self-employed borrowers oftentimes go into non-QM products. Debt-to-income issues, borrowers who have those will go into non-QM products, non-warrantable condos, and so forth. So Probably a lot of people with a lot of money too fall in non-QM that just don't have the history of the employment, monthly salaries. They have like $6 million in the bank. So that probably justifies a lot of the non-QM people too, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it appeals to a, a subset of the traditional borrower. And so for years now, the non-QM industry has been saying, this is going to be our year. This is going to be our year. And it never really has been. It never really has dominated the industry. And then 2022 started and rates went up and so many borrowers had been taken care of. So now with the declining volumes, the non-QM industry stepped up and said, here we come. You know, this is, this is going to be our year. And there was a lot of optimism with non-QM lenders and investors. And then suddenly Sprout goes away and First Guarantee goes away. And everybody in the industry starts talking about, dang, you know, are we going to see another March or April of 2020 where the non-agency investors and lenders and 
ultimate investors, you know, the insurance companies or pension funds or whoever running for the hills. Are we going to see that again? Well, fortunately, we have not seen that. But still, you have a situation where lenders are reminded of the fact that they need more than one outlet for exactly. a product. Yeah. And so you have a product there, a segment, the non-QM segment, where if you need more than one investor for any given loan, you know, how hard is it from a capital markets perspective to find two outlets for something that might be unusual? So the segment itself is very valuable from an originator perspective because it's another arrow in the originator's quiver in order to be able to offer that to their borrowers. The question is, where is it going and who's it going to go to and how reliable is that investor in the secondary market? And that's what the industry is dealing with. But the overall product, as I said, is, is very, very valuable. The question is, what is the outlet for it going to be? I talked to so many lenders, Rob, that say that. They have all these independent mortgage bankers trying to figure out how to be non-QM lenders. And that's one of the biggest challenges in the market right now. How do you tailor it for this lender? And what investor takeouts do you have? Do you yeah. agree with that? I would agree 100% with it. You don't want to open up a, a Ferrari dealership in a neighborhood or town that doesn't support a Ferrari market. You don't want to open up a, a, you know, a, a, a swimsuit store in Yuma, Arizona. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. I'll, I'll just stop right there. But, you know, it's a, it's you, you, I like Yuma. Come on. You need a, an outlet for whatever it is that you're manufacturing. If there's no outlet, there's no reason to manufacture it. And so the industry is dealing with that. But flipping this around a little bit, Justin, I wanted to ask you, what are you seeing in terms of insurance and the non-QM industry? Are, are, is there insurance for these types of loans? There is. You can call Justin better. At, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, um, I mean, I'll tell you what our insurance policy is about, and then you can go. We'll go from there. We have a loan defect insurance policy, which covers probably 80% of the rep warranties that are put into each securitization. And all these non-QM loans are not the traditional Fannie Freddies, right? They're going to institutional buyers, insurance companies, et cetera. And we, inside of CMC, have about a 65 to 70% market share. So we see a lot of non-QM loans and we review a ton of them. We get something at one point where like 30, 40,000 a month. So we're seeing a lot of reviews being done. See a lot of stuff, right? So when we review it though, there's a difference between us and other reviewers. So the TPR market, is very you know, different. Words, the way they look at certain compliance rules are different. The way they look at certain things are different. So I think getting alignment and standardization on that is the first step. And I think the insurance policy that we have of loan defect insurance or RMBS, rep and warranty loan defect insurance, is unique because it can really be the catalyst to restore confidence in the market. And we've had some success getting in some deals. Talk to the rating agencies. We're not completely there yet but we have a path forward to get into a deal. Obviously, we were going to be in a deal about May last year, but the rates started going up and the hub broke loose. But so the insurance is very real there. The thing that most frustrates what I heard from many of the people that are securitizing these loans in the non-QM space is that 
how do you get the rep and warranties not to be passed through these like reps to the trust? There's a lot of these people like Sprout and others went out of business, right, Rob? So now who do you go to? So having insurance, having a city in the first position in that chain of, of the securitization market seems to have some a value in it, into it. But we looked at it this way. Uh, most deals are getting hit between 60 and 100 basis points for not having the proper reps in place. Our insurance basically could step in and take that risk. In essence, that would be a reduction of that loss that the rating agencies would give them. We've calculated to be, to be between 10 to 30 basis points in pickup. It's in the mezzanine levels down to non-rated, which I know most of the issuers are taking themselves, but it's still in the all-in, it brings value to them. It pays for the insurance, basically. So I want to talk about it from that perspective, structure-wise. Claims-wise, price-wise, our biggest concern, we kind of separate DSCR loans from non-KIM. I don't know if you do that too, most people do in the industry. There's like non-KIM loans, like you, you spoke about, the traditional people that need it. And then there's DSCR loans. It's an interesting stat I saw in CoreLogic about DSCR loans or any sort of lease, multifamily kind of investor properties. One in 23 applications have fraud in them. But in a normal non-KIM loans, it's like one in 100 or something like that. It's almost five times more application fraud in a DSCR loan. In fact, before I got on this call, I got a call from my client saying they found a broker that committed fraud, also finding some lease agreements, stuff like that. And it changed because they were trying to shift it from one lender to another. So I think, you know, we're going to watch out for that, that sort of area. But we look forward to being in our first deal here very soon. It's almost, it's eminent. We will be in one. So it's nice to be able to leverage side of CMC's due diligence team as our kind of eyes and ears. And, and you know, they did the test on the loan. They, they recommend insurance. They recommend we insure the loan and we insure those loans. So I think it'll be a tremendous value to the market. Uh, you and I have spoken about it before. I've been doing this for a while. But I think it's going to have a, a positive effect on any deal. We just got to get the deal done. So sort of chicken and the egg, right? It's a constantly evolving market. That's the whether you're talking that. about insurance or whether you're talking about mortgage originations. And that's what makes <laughs> that's what makes our our jobs and our industry interesting and can be challenging. But I think it's important for people in our industry to remember that we've helped millions of borrowers. We're going to continue to help millions of borrowers, whether it's in refinancing or in buying a home. And it's important to keep that in perspective. And, and the current environment, yeah, it's a tough environment compared to where we were the last couple of years. We've gone back to a more normal environment. And just like there were growing pains in 2020, there are shrinking pains now. And it's tough to be a manager when you're not out there hiring when you're actually out there firing or laying people off. And that's brutal. It's a brutal, brutal yeah, job. It is very, very difficult. And my heart goes out to the people who are being displaced and so forth. It's part of the business cycle overall. But I think that the industry is well positioned to move forward. You know, we have the ability to repay. And I remember when ability to repay came out. Everybody was saying, oh, my God, ATR, ATR, it's going to kill us as an industry. I think 100, 100, 100 companies calling. Do you insure ATR? I'm like, kidding me? It's ambulance. Ambulance chasers are going to follow this thing. Yeah. It's, you know, then, and then TRID, you know, oh, my God, TRID is going to kill us. Or the new 1003, oh, it's going to drive us out of business. And as an industry, we keep bouncing back and doing doing well. And I think 
that in the current environment where we are laying people off and, and companies are either closing or merging or buying other companies, whatever it is, I think as an industry will come out stronger. It's just going to take some adjustment as we move through that. So once again, I think it's important for people to keep that in perspective and remember just what kind of role we actually serve in the U.S. economy. It's a very important role. I, I feel I feel the same way. Not to say you're not Shadamas or anything like that and predict things, but when do you think the non-chemical market will be back? I think it's a big question I get all the time. What I mean by back, it'll be flowing normally. It won't have the spread volatility, et cetera, that we're having right now. Just curious your your view. You're talking to people all the time. What's your view on when the uptick will happen? I think people have turned now and realized that reality is reality. But now they're wanting to know when can we get back in that business. I think people are slowly getting back in. Yeah, I, I see people. I see people getting back in already. Yeah, uh, the, the the sprout and the first guarantee, it's hoped is just a blip, and it'll be business as usual. And of course, there were a lot of rumors when first guarantee and sprout uh, went away. There were rumors about other companies and their financial situation and so forth. But I don't think, from a non-QM industry perspective, we we want or need another big name to go yeah. out of business. So I think that would be a real problem. But if that doesn't happen, I, I see the market gradually coming back throughout the late summer here and into autumn and into the winter. I, as, as, I, as I said earlier, the, the non-QM segment definitely attracts and suits another borrower type that Fannie and Freddie and FHA VA don't. And I think it's definitely needed in the industry. No doubt about it. You mean loan officers have to actually work now? I'm kidding. It's a joke. I mean, yes, they have to do. really under, I mean, that's the thing. So it's come down to, right? Everybody has to work harder in this environment. Whatever that doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right? Exactly. So, well, this has been great, Rob. Thanks for your insights and expertise. I really appreciate you coming on the call. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. Anytime. You've been listening to Citus AMC's In Conversation. To learn more about Citus AMC, our company, and our latest thinking, visit us at citusamc.com or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter.